What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Demling here with y'all. As always, welcome to Championship Week in College Lacrosse. We have conference tournaments getting underway tomorrow on Tuesday, as we uh, previewed on yesterday's podcast recording here on Monday night so I guess yeah yesterday's podcast that came out Sunday and uh, on Tuesday on Thursday we will have you know really what I think is one of the best days of this of the year um, if you will where all these conference tournaments begin on Thursday, uh, outside of the Big Ten and the, um, which I'm gonna call it Patriot League. There we go. Outside of the Big Ten, the Patriot League, all the conference tournaments begin on Thursday. Well, Ivy League is on Friday, which I think is smart for them. Like they get this little window of opportunity, um, and then they've always done that. So, you know, you get those conference tournaments underway on Thursday. The majority of them. Today, we will go over and preview three of them, have another uh, preview podcast with uh, three others tomorrow. And as I mentioned, we're going alphabetically, uh, but also based on who is playing first. So uh, America East, ASUN, Big East, SOCON, NEC, and MAC all get underway on Thursday, um, you also have the uh, Big Ten semifinals on Thursday as well. Um, so we'll preview those on tomorrow's podcast um, when I will also talk about the MAC, NEC, and the SOCON. We'll have a separate podcast um, previewing the Ivy League quarterfinals and previewing the championship games. Let's be the Ivy League semis and the championship games of these other conferences uh, there on Thursday. Uh, so we'll have that on Thursday night, I should say. Uh, so, so we'll have that. Uh, today, we're going over the American East, the A-Sun, <clears throat> and the Big East. So alphabetically, let's start here in the American East. Um, and then FYI, already previewed the Patriot League. As I said, you can find that podcast uh, in the feed as well. Should be the next one down uh, in the podcast feed, as just did that on uh, Sunday. Oh, Monday, I should say. Came out Monday. All right. America East. Number one seed, you have Vermont. Number two seed, Binghamton. Number four seed, Albany. Number three seed, UMBC. Okay, let's get into this thing here. So, looking over the teams here first. Vermont. This is a team should be the favorite. The number one seed, I think they're the clear-cut favorite um, in this conference. They started the year 2-6. and six, uh, Tough schedule that they didn't get through, you know, easy at all. Um, a 2-6 two, two record heading into league play, as I said. But since then, they have cruised. 6-0 uh, and oh mark in uh, league play. They're now nine and six on the season. They've won 
uh, you know, average victory of 9.6 goals against conference opponents. This is a Vermont team, simply put, that uh, up against the rest of the America East is, is stacked, is more athletic, is more talented than every other team in this conference. They play Albany on Tuesday, uh, on Thursday. They should win that. Uh, they're going to play the winner of UMBC and Binghamton. They should win that. When you look at Vermont and what they've done this season, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, heading into American East play thought maybe this isn't, this isn't the team we thought they were going to be. Uh, but and, and, uh, as I had been saying, you know, hey, in conference play, they're going to take care of business, and they do just that. The closest a team has ever gotten to them in league play was that 17-10 to 10 win over Binghamton. Seven goals is the closest a team has gotten to them in conference play. Like, that is ridiculous. That is ridiculously good. I mean, that is... Remember how people used to write off Albany? Not write them off, but they, they would kind of push them to the side once they got into America East play. We know they're going to roll through it. It's kind of what Vermont was this year. And I expect them to you know, continue that here in the postseason. You know, in the little previews that I did, kind of hitting on some points uh, of each team. You know, star player Thomas McConvey, um, they're on offense. And this is a offense that is deep. This is an offense that is uh, diverse in terms of the talent set, um, in, in terms of each of those games. David Klosterman, Thomas McConvey, two kind of headliners there. Uh, Klosterman being, you know, 55 points on the year, being the, you know, key assist guy at the attack spot. Uh, McConvey, the midfielder, 43 goals on the season. Uh, what you've seen from him is, is really, you know, phenomenal. Uh, you have Brock Haley, who has, you know, after being – a you know second line uh, midfield guy last season has stepped up, uh, taking that third spot there at attack alongside Michael McCormick and David Klosterman, and he's had himself a really really good season as well. Um, each of the top five guys are plus thirty points on the season, plus twenty goals on the season, um, and, and then Griffin Finich, uh, the sophomore midfielder who who's a third midfielder. He has 22 points on the season. Like this is a very deep offense uh, that that really can get it done. Um, and then I think the crazy thing is, you know, you're looking at their their point getters, and you know they have what is this one the top six, seven, eight. They have nine guys in double digit digits in terms of points. That ninth guy is an LSM, Nick Alviti. Um, and, and and that's a group of polls there that's really, really good. <clears throat> All VT being the top of the bunch there, 25 ground balls. Excuse me, 25 cars turnovers, 65 ground balls, seven goals, three assists. Uh, really phenomenal. Will Jones, Jackson Canfield uh, you know, came back from that injury that you know, had him sit out last year, and he's been phenomenal this year for them. And th- this is just a – Offense that that is solid. This is a defense that is solid. Um, there's not many holes in in terms of 
know, them going up against America East competition. Tommy Burke at the faceoff dot gets it done. Ryan Cornell and Cage, you know, one of the most fun players to watch in college, Gus, um, from, from what he's done this season. Cat, you know, cat-like reflexes, kind of how I, how I describe him, you know, reflects the mascot of the Catamounts very much in, in terms of just his activity, how active he is. Uh, he's not the tallest guy in the world, not the biggest goalie, uh, but he plays with heart, plays with passion, fun player to watch. So I, I, I really do think like it's going to be hard pressed for any of these teams to beat Vermont. It, it really is. Um, Binghamton is that number two seed, and look, I knowing uh, Coach McEwen personally, great guy. Uh, very, very happy for, for for him and this Bearcats team, and how you know you look. He got there twenty seventeen. He took them to the American East title game uh, where they fell to Albany. And it's been kind of a slow, slow grind back to that point. And they're the number two seed now. They're playing very well. Um, getting their first postseason bid since 2017. The first time since 2004 that they've beaten Albany and UMBC in the same season. I mean, this has been a really good season for, for Binghamton. And, you know, you can say, well, you know, Stony Brook's not in there. And th- that's true. Stony Brook would be the number two seed, but Binghamton would still be the number three seed, even if Stony Brook were in there. Um, Stony Brook just opened that window, and Binghamton, I mean, they took it. Uh, they took the opportunity. Kevin Winkoff, you know, they're on the offensive end, 52 points, 32 goals, 17 assists, makes that offense run. Teddy Dolan in cage has been very, very good for them all season. And it is a guy, I believe he's in the in the portal as a uh, as a grad transfer. Uh, he's going to be you know, hot on the market um, this summer and has been a guy there that's been consistent throughout his career. Um, the, the one, like, aspect of this team that really Dolan, Winkoff, obviously brand names coming in the season for this Binghamton squad, the one – factor for them that has hurt them actually recently um, is at the face-off dot. And that is an area coming into the season we thought very confident in Binghamton at the face-off dot. Matthew D'Souza, and he's been good this season. He's been good. 55%. That No, it's above 50%. He's been very sound. He's been phenomenal. However, D'Souza has missed each of the past two games. I don't know what his status is there, if he'll be back for the postseason. Um, you know, but if he's not, I think Binghamton could be in some trouble here in terms of their postseason hopes and making it to the title game and possibly getting another shot at Vermont, who people forget they beat Vermont last season. Uh, they played them back-to-back, like in a weekend, I think it was, and they beat Vermont last season. Um, and, you know, if you, you know, I've listened to any of kind of what, you know, you know Vermont, what you've heard out of that program this, you know, past all season and into this season, it was, you know, we have to keep our foot on the gas. We don't want to have a Binghamton game again. We don't want to have that again. And like, this is a team that they, and this is a very similar team. 
close defense is not as good. They lost a lot of guys. Uh, but overall, this is a very similar Binghamton team to a year ago, minus that close defense. Um, but, you know, if they want to get it done, if they want to want to get that upset win over Vermont, if they even want to beat UMBC, uh, which was, you look back at that game, and, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like they rolled through UMBC. Um, it was a, what was that? Yeah, 12 to 8 victory uh, for Binghamton. So it was a close one. Uh, and, and they got through it. But if they're going to get through it again, and if they're going to have it, a shot at, at, at Vermont, they have to win the faceoff battle. And if DeSouza's not there, you know, that raises some, some eyebrows. That raises the question, can they get it done? Ross Chaz now, uh, Dallas, Texas native, Episcopal School, Dallas, uh, you, you know, pro, uh, product. He, you know, had good performances, splitting reps with DeSouza earlier in the season, um, had good performances. Really did. But stepping in as the starter, he's going 25% in the past two games. They've, they've got to be better in that aspect. And if, they, if they're not, I'm very skeptical. And that is why I'm very skeptical of what Binghamton's you know, ability is. Um, you know, they come in, they lost to Vermont, they lost to UMass Lowell here the last two games of the season. Very skeptical of the direction this Binghamton program or team is going after what's been a really good season for them. And they came within two of Lehigh after that UMBC win and before that beating Albany. Um, you know, they, they, they beat Hofstra. They've had co- they had a close game against a good Fairfield team. And th- this has been a team, they've had some highs, they've had some lows. Um, you obviously had, had the off-field situation there as well, but um, Binghamton, been a solid season for them. They just got to get it done with face-off dot. UMBC. This is a team, look, they've been competitive in some of their losses. Binghamton, as I mentioned, Stony Brook, another game. They were close They were uh, close in. I think this is the sleeper in the American East right now. If you look at this bracket, I think this is the sleeper. And yes, they're the number three, they're the number three seed. They're not the, the last seed. But they're number three. Five and six overall, three and three in the America East. You're tied with Albany for that. Uh, but having beaten Albany 16 to 7, uh, you get that tiebreaker. Now, why do I say this is a sleeper team? This is a team that looks a lot different now than they did the last time they played Vermont. And even when they played, you know, Richmond and Binghamton. And even, I mean, they beat Utah, a good win there. They opened the season with a upset win over Drexel. I mean, this is a team that's shown promise and lately has really shown promise. Um, now, yes, two of those games were against UMass Lowell and NJIT. Understandably so. Uh, you lost to Stony Brook 13-11, to but a competitive loss. 16-7 to win over Albany really, I think, opened some people's eyes into what this offense could be. And a big part of that, you know, does come and of this team's success has come from Zach Dudley asserting himself as that top face-off guy for 
UMBC as a sophomore, and then Tommy Leninger, uh, uh, Leninger coming back you know, this year after a solid year a season ago, continuing that 51% save percentage, 118 saves, has really been the backbone, been the anchor of a good UMBC defense, uh, characteristically good UMBC defense. And you look offensively at this team, and yes, they, they, they have a good, you know, they, they have good guys at the attack spot. Mike Doherty, uh, Brian uh, Tregone, and then Brett uh, Busia as you, you know, starting three attackmen. But this, you know, this midfield has been very good, been very good. Uh, Jordan Galloway, you know, an attackman who's been getting some starts at the midfield spot. Uh, he started each of the past four games there. Um, I believe he started one game at attack, if I'm not mistaken. But um, And then you have Tyler Bohannon. You've got Dane Hall. Uh, a number of these guys, Jack Thomas, uh, an attackman who's slipped in and out of the lineup. number of guys uh, this season that have been really good um, for this UMBC team not just at the attack spot where we've seen some really good playmaking in recent years, but at the midfield spot. And look, this is a midfield that, you know, so UMBC has outscored their opponents 46-23 in each of the last three wins. They've gone three in one of the last four games. That includes the 16-7 defeat of Albany. Their starting midfield alone has accounted for 11 of those goals. 23% of that offense is coming from their midfield. Uh, that's much better than what we'd seen from this midfield, from this offense in general in some of those earlier games. Uh, they also, you know, seven goal output from that midfield unit alone against Stony Brook um, there. So this is a UMBC team I think has a lot of promise. Albany. The number four team, um, Albany's been a tough team to figure out this year because they've had some high highs beating Syracuse. Um, I don't know how high of a high you could call that this year, but beating Syracuse is a big thing for this Albany team. Graydon Hogg, Reagan Endos, Elijah Gask, Gash, kind of the top three guys you'll, you'll hear mentioned with that Albany program, Hogg being the top guy. On the offensive end, Reagan Endos, you know, 53% there, um, you know, has been really, really good um, the past two, um, these past two games against Yale, against Penn, at the faceoff dot, 53% combined in those two games to help keep them in those games where, uh, I know it's a 19-11 loss and a 17-13 loss, but they were in those games for the majority of it. I mean, he's in, you know, Endo is a big piece of why. And then Elijah Gash, a guy who just made a name for himself last season and has just continued uh, that again this year, being a key member of the back end for this squad, you know, able to you know be a transition threat at times as well. No top cover guy in many respects. So my picks in the America East, Vermont over Albany, UMBC over Binghamton. And I'm going Vermont over UMBC. I know it's a little chalky, but that's kind of how 
I see things kind of going in this America East tournament based on how things have certainly based on how things have gone in play in the regular season. All right, now moving to the ASUN conference. Um, here, number one seed, Utah. Number two seed, Robert Morris. Number three seed, Air Force. And number four seed, Bellarmine. Um, Utah, obviously the number one seed, the favorite in this thing. This has been a really good year for Utah. Nine and three, five and zero in ASUN play. First year head coach Andrew McMahon has really, you know, taken this team and you know they've run run the table, gone through conference play unscathed, undefeated in league play. They've also gotten a number of big wins early in the season, non conference wise. Vermont, Jacksonville, that only bolsters this team's resume and kind of the image, if you will. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest things about this team that I've mentioned this season is how they run the field, those two-way midfielders, uh, how they play in unsettled situations, really, really good in that aspect. Um, you know, I was able to see them in person here two weeks ago, I believe it was, when they played Bellarmine uh, in that regular season game. And, you know, this is a Utah team. You see it on on film, you see it on TV, you see it in person. Uh, it, it is an impressive group. It's an impressive squad. And it's going to be hard-pressed to beat these guys in the A-Sun tournament. Uh, but this might be the one conference where this and the A-Sun probably, in the NEC, probably will expect chaos the most um, in terms of potential you know, unforeseen upsets, if you will, uh, that we normally would not have seen um, based on how close some of these games were in the regular season. Uh, the game I just mentioned, it was a, uh, was it 12 to 11 game? Yeah, Utah got that win there, 12-11. It's a 10-8 game against Air Force. Now, the Robert Morris game was 18 to 8. Wasn't that close, and you know, I went back and watched that Last night, Utah really put, put you know, stepped on the gas, put that thing out. Um, not necessarily early. Well, they got up 5-0, but, you know, all of you was, was able to come back and make a game of it, but late kind of put that one out for good. Um, they're in the Andrew McMinnbowl, if you will. But, uh, you know, two guys mentioning that kind of, transition play, the two-way midfielders that you see here at Utah. Ruben Santana, you know, one of a multitude of guys that, that makes an impact on both both ends. He's kind of a leader in that department, if you will. 21 ground balls, seven cards, turnovers, eight goals, six assists. He started, I think I want to say four or five games um, at the midfield spot. See, Ruben Santana, yeah, four games. Played all 12, started four at the midfield spot, uh, and really makes an impact on both ends. Samuel Canberra, LSM slash defenseman, he's played down low um, as well as at the LSM spot. A big reason as well as Santana and a lot of those uh, midfield guys that play both ways. Uh, big, big reason why 
Utah leads the nation, Division One in Cleveland uh, percentage, 92% success rate on the clear there. Uh, Canberra has really benefited greatly from this system. Ten points for a poll is kind of unheard of. Two goals, eight assists, what he has on the season as an impact player there in transition, but he's also you know, a guy that can sit back and play defense and, you know, be a cover guy, uh, be a, a high-level cover guy. Uh, 22 cars turnovers, 58 ground balls. Leads Utah in cars turnovers this season, an impact player all around, as is Santana there. That rope unit is very, very good, very important to what this Utah team does. Now, you talk about attack. You know, Tyler Bradbury, and especially in a sun play, has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. Air Force is the only team that's held him under uh, five points, one goal, one assist in that game. He's had five-plus points in every game since then, 52 points on the season, 24 goals, 28 assists. The leader of this Utah offense, he's going to draw the majority of attention from that Air Force, from that Bellman defense. Number two seed, Robert Morris, first year head coach, Craig McDonald, and uh, the Colonials also in the right spot as their only loss on the year comes to Utah. Could we have a McMahon Bowl title game in the ASUN? It's possible. Tyler Clark, obviously this is a a, a, a offense with a very heavy Canadian influence. Taggart Clark being the leader of that bunch there. Um, had a five-point game against Duke. Really made his name known. And he's never wavered since. Leading the Colonials with 54 points off 43 goals and 11 assists. He's averaged 3.4 goals per game in every against every ASUN opponent. Utah and Air Force, the only two defenses to hold him under four goals um, there in a sun play. Very difficult to stop there. Uh, Bo Columbus, uh, really a guy who is the X factor for this RMU squad at the X. Uh, he has been, you know, much the same way that we talk about Connor Calderon at Boston U or Luke Wildman at Maryland uh, in terms of either, in the case of Wildman, their improvement or Calderon their implementation, uh, their insertion into that squad. Uh, Bo Columbus has been that for RMU. Uh, this is a, you know, mostly host transfer, Division Two transfer, comes in and immediately bolsters as a sophomore a spot where RMU hadn't been necessarily fantastic, hadn't been too good in recent years, needed to improve there, and he's improved this spot very, very much so, uh, 65% on the season. That includes a 52% mark against Utah, 70% mark against Air Force, who the Falcon, or who, who the Colonials will play on Thursday. So Columbus has been playing very, very good this season. James Leary, kind of the headliner on the defensive end. Um, you know, in, in my little preview, I'd written, you know, underrated. Uh, that is something you could say of him because um, he's been, you know, sometimes quietly making plays 
not only on the back end, but also in transition. Uh, five goals, two assists for him. He played the first two games of the year at LSM before being bumped down to close for the past 11 games. 23 cost turnovers, 43 ground balls. You know, Megan Anfield himself really as one of the top polls last season, but has only improved this season. So that's a really good RMU team there uh, with threats all over the field as well. Air Force, you know, Brandon Dodd, kind of the, the, the known commodity there on offense coming into the season. And, you know, he's really continued that uh, this year as the leader there. 45 goals, 23 assists. He's the go-to guy there. And you're going to offensively, offensively, I think Air Force isn't necessary. Like they don't, when, when I've watched them this season, they're, they're not a team like some of these other teams in the ASUN that will, you know, like a, a, a RMU, like a Utah, that will wow you in terms of their offensive depth and, and different things of that nature. It's, you know, really uh, Brandon Dodd, Brendan Krause being your top two guys there, uh, Kyle Griffith, Aiden Tolan, a bunch of different guys rotating who have played there. Uh, Wes Peen, um, Ethan Grandolfo that hasn't played a ton this season due to injury. Uh, well, he's been held out since uh, March, I want to say it was. Um, so you haven't seen maybe the number of guys number of you know big time playmakers you did last season with uh the injury there to Grandolfo, uh, who kind of made up kind of that big three there. But you've seen a number of different guys rotate in and out of that offensive lineup. I think that's a big part of why. Uh but Dodd and Kraus, why this Air Force offense might not be as intriguing to some or as you know highly rated to uh as some other ASUN offenses to some. Now, granted, you look at the statistics, it's not as good. Uh, but Dodd and Krause have certainly been, you know, doing their part, doing all they can on the offensive end. And also the face-off dot isn't necessarily the best situation there at Air Force, either um, not, not having the best success this year, uh, which does hinder things. But the one name you will hear when, talking about Air Force is Jason Rose. And Jason Rose and Cage has been phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Stepped into Cage in the final four games of the season last year as a starter. Has not let his job up yet. Uh, he has been phenomenal. Literally every week uh, you watch him play, he does something different. Uh, 21 saves against Bryant. 13 against Marquette. He had 11 against Utah, 11 against Detroit Mosey, 13 against Cleveland State, 9 against Bellarmine, 7 against Robert Morris. This is a guy who has 54% save percentage on the season, 56% save percentage in a Sun competition. This is a guy who's only gotten better as the season has gone along and he steps up in those big games. <clears throat> Another guy for this defense, you know, you look at the the defense here for the Falcons, and you you know you know some of the names: Quentin Carlisle, Chris Bardark, 
kind of two names that you know there. Jason Williams is obviously, obviously in cage. Caden Wolfson. Who is that? Well, Caden Wolfson is a, a player who watch Air Force, you know, watch Air Force, what number is he? 21. Watch 21, you'll know who I'm talking about. Uh, very, very impressive this season. Not the leader of this defense per se, but has been very good as a cover guy, has made a big impact uh, in, in a variety of ways, off ball, on ball, uh, these past 10 games as a starter. Um, you know, this is a guy who might be the most intriguing player on this top 20 offense, or defense, excuse me, where didn't play, had only played one game coming into this season due to injury. Um, but injuries behind him now. He's a senior. He steps in, and he's playing his butt off right now. Taking that opportunity, and he ran with it. And he's been playing really, really good lacrosse. We're going to stick here with uh, defense as we move into Bellarmine, as uh, this is a, a, a defense that is a good unit. Like That is the strength of this Bellarmine team. Very, very much so. Uh, when, when you look at kind of the top scoring defenses, you know, they're not up there per se like they were a year ago. They're a top 50 unit, uh, which isn't necessarily bad, but they're not up there like they were last year as a top 15 squad. Uh, got some younger guys on the back end there, but the one guy you do have back from last season, and he's been rewriting the record books every week, it seems like, is John Robbins. Nation's leader in cars turnovers with 43. You know, put together a season, as I said, highlighting, uh, you know, highlighted by rewriting the record books. Bellman's all-time cars turnover leader. Uh, breaking the program's record for most cars turnovers in a game, plus surpassing his own record for cars turnovers. In a season, you watch Bellarmine, you know who this guy is um, on the defensive end there for the Knights, um, an area where they've been pretty you know, decent these past couple of seasons. Like I said, a bit of a drop this year, uh, but still solid there with Robbins highlighting things, J.C. Higginbotham in cage, Brady Long. Uh, a freshman there getting the start at close all season. Jacob Bergren uh, starting there at, you know, playing mostly on, on the wings and, and at LSM, but also getting starts at close as well for this Bellarmine squad. Uh, but, you know, two other names you need to know here for Bellarmine, Kyle Playstead. His nickname is Play Stud, and, and that is for a reason. Behind the back scoring machine. Uh, Saturdays, all for Kyle Playstead behind the bat goals. Uh, do not forget that. 25 goals, 28 assists, 53 points on the season. As, you know, kind of the ex-attackman, the primary goal scorer, dodger, and distributor, everything runs through Kyle Playstead with that Bellarmine offense. And, uh, you, you know, uh, up against Utah on Thursday, uh, he's going to get the majority of the attention as he did uh, over the weekend, they held him to one goal, one assist on uh, the day. So that Utah defense did a good job on him on Saturday. They're going to have to do uh, the, the similar, if not better, on Thursday. 
excuse me, two Saturdays ago, I guess it was, when uh, they played, uh, Utah played, and he was, okay. Yeah, okay, two Saturdays ago is what I mean. Getting my weeks mixed up here. Dent McDonald, another guy for Bellman you need to know, um, played exclusively like defensive midfield last year, has now moved into the starting lineup at the midfield spot, making plays on both ends, 16 points, 12 goals, 4 assists, 24 ground balls, 12 cost turnovers, major, major 2A threat. Uh, this rope unit for uh, Bellman, pretty good there. Dent McDonald, Harrison Pate, two uh, midfielders that can make an impact on both ends. My picks in the ASUN, Utah versus Bellarmine, we're going Utah. Robert Morris versus Air Force, we're going Air Force. Picking the upset there, if you will. Utah and Air Force in the title game, we're going Utah. Now let's move over here into the Big East, where I, I don't think I need to talk too much about this one. Georgetown will win. There you have it. We're done. Um, no, we'll, we'll get into this, but Georgetown will win. Um, I, I guess I'll just do my picks first to you. Georgetown beats Marquette. I'm picking Villanova to beat Denver, and I'm picking Georgetown to beat Villanova in the title game. I don't think there's any team in the Big East that can beat Georgetown. Will Bowen on defense. Owen McElroy is back in cages. they back the past three games, I believe. Dylan Watson, kind of the X factor there for them on offense. Um, has only, I mean, he was playing very, very well throughout the season, but since it's the calendar has turned to April, has taken it up a notch even more. I didn't even think that was possible. Playing his best lacrosse of the season, and uh, you know, obviously that's just a, a, a sliver. Those three guys are just a sliver of what this Georgetown team is. Grand Bundy Jr., Alex Trippy is ripping it up as a grad transfer there. TJ Haley, Obviously missed those first two games, but he's been ripping it up this season. Has been up and down um, in terms of his goal production. He was held scoreless against Villanova. Uh, had five assists against Denver Marquette. Really continuing to be the top assist guy there for the Hoyas. Uh, Connor Morin, Declan McDermott, Dylan Hess. I mean, this is a, a group there that is just phenomenal offensively. Uh, Zach Geddes, guy, you know, no, D Mitty that can also play on the offensive end. You look at the defense, Will Bowen, Alex Mazzone at the LSM spot, Gibson Smith, James Donaldson also there at close. This is a phenomenal Georgetown defense, best defense in the country. Um, looking at the offense, I think they're still one of the, in terms of scoring offenses. Yeah, they're a top. Yeah, they're a top five scoring offense as well, and uh, just really, really good all over the place. Top three in cumulative efficiency and lacrosse reference. Um, really, really good team all over the place. Oh, and how can I forget James Riley at the faceoff dot? Um, I don't think there's many teams that can beat Georgetown. Princeton is the only team that's done it. I don't think any of these teams in the Big East have a shot at it. Uh, Denver had a shot at them early in the season, and that is their only loss in conference on the year. This is a Denver squad who has been like a roller coaster. They've had their highs. They've dipped. 
they've gone back up again. It, 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 it's very unique, this Denver team and what they've done. The big question, can they beat Georgetown? They beat Villanova on a day with Alex Stathakis, who I think it's it's crucial that he gets those wins on the dot. He's my X factor for them coming into this tournament. It's crucial that he gets those opportunities. He can play well at the dot in this game against Villanova. He was not so good against Villanova last time. He's going to have to do so here because, remember, Denver, that game, it was, it was you know, they, they were able to, to punch back. Uh, that offense of Jack Hanna, Alex Simmons, J.J. Sostrop, and, and company were able to punch back. And Hanna has been their leader again as a goal scorer, 30 goals in the season, also, also dishing out for assists. When he's on, this entire offense seems to be on. Player to watch of this Denver team, Malik Sparrow. So this defense is one that's been together for quite some time there. Um, back in 2020, I believe, was when majority of these starters were freshmen. Um, when you look at A.J. Mercurio, uh, who you know ha- has been, you know, he was out of the lineup for a while. He's come back now in conference play. So good to see him back there. Uh, Jack DiBettinetto, like these guys have been there with each other since their freshman season there uh, in Denver. And then, you know, similarly, Jack Thompson uh, in Cage has been there as well. The big thing this Denver team has missed this year is that play at the, at the uh, short stick defensive midfield spot from Danny Logan, from Kyle Smith. They've not been getting those plays needed. Um, don't have those bodies in the middle of the field. Malik Sparrow at the LSM spot has really provided that when they've needed it at times this season. Leads the team in 19 cross turnovers, 27 ground balls. Very good defenseman who can not only, you know, he has one assist as well, can not only get it done in the middle of the field, but can also and has, uh, you know, started that close, has been bumped down to close at times, and played very well. Uh, so he's my player to watch for Denver. Villanova, um, look, Matt Campbell, Patrick Daly, Keating, like this is an offense that is really, really good. This is a deep, inexperienced offense. Campbell leads the way there, you know, 57 points, 37 goals, 27 assists. In 2022, that includes a seven. He went seven, one, eight, uh, seven goals, one assist, eight points against Delaware. Had a five point game against Marquette. This is a uh, guy at the midfield who's been really good, leading a solid offense there. Um, at Villanova, Justin Coppola has been getting them those opportunities at the faceoff dot, getting them those extra possessions. You look at his progression over his career, it's phenomenal. 44% in those five, uh, was it seven to five games they played in 2020. 52% as a sophomore, 60% right now as a junior. 203 for, three, six, three, three, for 203 wins for 336 uh, draws. Very, very good. 65% against Denver. against Georgetown. If Villanova wants a shot at beating Denver, at getting back at Denver, and at possibly beating Georgetown, 
They're going to have to get those wins at the face-off dot. They're also going to have to get those stops defensively, which is why I don't think they're going to be able to beat Denver, uh, beat Georgetown. Um, but the you know got to know on that defense, and this is a Villanova defense that does look a lot different than it did a year ago, and that's kind of been, I don't want to say their struggle, but when you look at how many guys they had to replace, um, but it is still a defense that is veteran, veteran-ish. Chris Hovada uh, transferred from Monmouth, Brody Laporte, a senior there, and then Reed Caldwell has stepped in uh, as a sophomore starter there. Uh, but the guy to know on this back end, though, and I should mention Will Vittman Cage has been very good as usual. But Chet Camizio, Chet Camizio, same as his brother TJ, caused turnover machine, 22 CTs on the year, 41 ground balls, the leader of, and look, you can't talk about Villanova and you have not been able to for a number of years now without talking about their defensive midfield, without talking about their rope unit. He's the leader of that unit this season. Moving into Marquette, 4-10. Look, they've had some good wins this season. They beat Providence. They beat St. John's. That's what they needed to do. Um, They're coming in on a four-game losing skid. Had a real tough stretch late in the season. Playing Notre Dame, Denver, Villanova, and Georgetown. That's a tough stretch in in the season on. Uh, But they've got some players there that, you know, really good freshmen. Bobby O'Grady at the attack spot. Michael O'Leary, a redshirt freshman there in cage. Those are two guys and a number of young, two guys that highlight a number of young players, a group of young players that is playing very well for Marquette this season. O'Grady has been, and I saw his first college game here in Louisville. He played Bellarmine and, you know, he was phenomenal. Uh, Got the chocolate milk after the game. Um, some of y'all will know what I'm talking about there. Uh, as the you know, you know, player of the game, if you will, for, uh, from the broadcast team, leads the Golden Eagles, 44 goals, and has also had five assists. An absolute goal scorer. Uh, you have to shut him down if you're going to shut down Marquette. Michael O'Leary, uh been really, really good in cage. 50% save percentage. Could be a bit better at times, but he's kept them in uh, some of these games where they've been closer than maybe they should have. Um, and then Mason Woodward, my player to watch here for Marquette, um, j- j- just watch what he does defensively. A very fun player uh, to watch. Uh, Marquette, however, I don't see too much coming out of that Georgetown game, unfortunately, 20-10 to 10 last time around. Hopefully they can get within single digits this time. I want to see that. Uh, certainly want to see the good games, but uh, going to be tough for them to do that against that Hoyas team. All right, folks, that is it for today's show, previewing the ASUN America East and the Big East tournaments. I'll be back tomorrow previewing. What did I, I said it earlier. Previewing the SoCon, the NEC, and the MAC. We'll preview the Ivy League on uh, 
Wednesday. Uh, yeah, we'll preview the Ivy League. I said Thursday. We'll preview the Ivy League on Wednesday's show. Uh, so a big week in terms of podcast here at Lacrosse Bucket. As always, y'all can connect with us on social media at Lacrosse Bucket on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. LacrosseBucket.com, where it's always Lacrosse season.